Welcome back to the OU Sports Extra Podcast. I'm Eli Letterman back after a week off, and I'm with Eric Bailey once again. Eric, it's still a busy time in, in Norman. Uh, we're, we're closing out the fourth week of spring football. Uh, there's activity around the basketball programs. There's stuff going on in the diamond, both baseball, softball, gymnastics, full swing. We're, we're, we're still in it. Every, every year we say that you know the spring is when it's supposed to cool down, but we are still very much so in it and uh, have lots going on, lots to discuss today on this week's pod. Well, first of all, welcome back, Eli. And it's so neat seeing you back from New York with your New York Mets cap on and your New Yorker framed uh, art in your background. <laughs> so we know we know where you're from. So no, it's good to have you back, Eli. And yeah, it was a, it was it's been a pretty hectic time. It's, it, it, we always talk about maybe things will slow down, and it hasn't slowed down. So that's the crazy thing. So um, I think uh, we only had one availability this week. We only met with the team on Tuesday or Monday, excuse me, on Monday, and it was just a we got to talk to Todd Bates and a couple players. So it was kind of a kind of a quieter week, but it, it was a fun week because again, Brent Venables every every first week of every practice, he opens the the practice up to the media. We get to watch and. You got to witness some hard hitting uh, goal line stands, and I was jealous because I, I didn't go this time for the first time. This this uh, I missed this portion of practice for the first time this year, this spring. And man, I, I'm jealous of you because you got to see some goal line exchanges. Yeah, Eric, those who show up are rewarded. We you know, made the effort to make the practice. Now uh, it was. This was probably some of the most we've seen. And, and again, I, I know from the past past coaching staffs this kind of access and practice was not a thing so we're fortunate to be seeing as much of practice as we have been and uh on monday we got to see really some some goal line drills and i'll get to one particular play a bit later but just getting to see guys in and out i mean everyone from you know who you'd expect to be that first team defense to you know hearing todd bates screaming ashton sanders's name in the middle of the sub package you're talking about you know a freshman who's only in his fourth week of, of, of a college practice just figuring out those little things. And so you really get to learn a lot. And, and and we saw some interesting things in terms of where guys are playing, maybe in some of those goal line uh, sets and, and really just watching to get this coaching staff operate. And, and I will say, you know, we always talk about how nice it is when we get to talk to Bill Biedenboe and kind of get his insight on the offensive line. Todd Bates has filled a pretty similar role, you know, getting to talk to him, not just about his defensive linemen in the middle, but on the edge, the guys Miguel Chavis coaches and, and that unit on the whole, I found pretty fascinating this week in terms of what they're hoping to do uh, in, in 2023. You know, it's funny. He was the closer. We got to talk to every assistant coach. Again, we're thankful to Coach Venables for that opportunity. And Todd Bates was the closer of the assistant coaches. He was the last one we got to talk to. And, of course, he saved the best for last. And, you know, that we hear that saying all the time. And maybe Oklahoma did because it was an opportunity to hear from the defensive line coach at a position where there needs to be improvement. And we, I think everyone knows that going into – the last season of the Big 12 and getting uh, really uh, initiated into the SEC, they really need to be stronger up front. So that was that was big. And I will say this. I thought it was interesting. He did break down a lot of the players. He broke down. He did a, a breakdown. And who on that defensive line, when we think about that defensive line, Eli, you, you wrote a story on them. Who who, impressed, who sounded like was the most impressive? Who's made the biggest jumps this spring? Well, you're exactly right that it's like such an important group because all we've heard from Brent Venables and the staff you know, dating back to last fall, physicality, point of attack. Uh, we know what the the sack numbers looked last like looked like last year. They were woeful. Um, I think only twice in the last twenty years has OU had uh, twenty eight sacks like they did a year ago. And so it's a it's a position not of you know where they hope to be better, where they need to be better. 
And I thought, you know, obviously the flashy things on the defense, and then we can get to them, are, are, are the newcomers. Trace Ford, Rondell Bothroy, Jacob Lacey, Devon Sears. But I was as interested, and I think it's as important in terms of having healthy depth uh, on the line, was hearing Todd Bates talk about the guys who are back. Jonah Lulu, who was the transfer defensive end a year ago, he's moving inside and working to tack on a bunch of weight between now and opening day. That, to me, is extremely intriguing if you're looking to create pressure up the middle. Uh, Isaiah Coe and Jordan Kelly, you know, Todd Bates kind of explained that he had this inventory uh, at the end of last season for each guy and, and that they went through that and they worked on things. And, and so the idea of maybe not making, not having to make Jordan Kelly or Isaiah Coe your star every single down, every single snap defensive tackle. But if, if those guys uh, coupled in with some impact newcomers make up your D-line depth, they're going to be better off than they were a year ago from a defense that we saw kind of trail off late in games because of its lack of depth. I think they're better equipped. And, and what we heard from Todd Bates was that their goal, their big thing in 2023, create more pressure. And I, I think at least right now, they feel like they have what they need to, to do that a bit better. Yeah, I think Brent Venables really wants that defense to not count on blitzes to cause that pressure, yeah. for that pressure to come up front. You mentioned some of the newcomers. I think the one I'm interested in the most is Notre, Notre Dame transfer Jacob Lacey. Uh, he was, you know, the first to enter, the first really to get on on this this uh, portal transfer list from Notre Dame. And uh, Todd Bates had a lot of interesting things to say about him. He said that this relationship was built years ago. Uh, said that they were Clemson was second in recruiting him to Notre Dame, so they had created that relationship years ago. And I think they want him to come in and really be that veteran leader, someone that can really not only make plays, but really mentor a lot of these younger players and even some of the younger returning players and kind of work with them. And I think that's big when you think about this transfer portal process and Brent Venables has mentioned it over and over. It's not only the production on the field, it's what kind of player you are off the field. Uh, are you going to fit in this locker room? And I think when you look at players like Jacob Lacey, I think that was huge. Uh, they want him, you know, Todd Bates said they want him to be a complete defensive tackle. They want him to do everything, be able to have a lot of tools in his tool chest. So I think that's huge. And it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out, you know, not only through spring, but through offseason and what it's like fall camp. How, like you mentioned, how these guys bulked up, uh, you know, had they put weight on. It's going to be how much stronger they've gotten because that's going to be a key. The point of attack is going to be huge for Oklahoma's defense. Yeah, the name that came up was a name that's no, no longer on the roster, but Todd Bates is Jalen Redmond. They've got to fill that hole left behind by him. And I think a guy like Jacob Lacey projects, at least from kind of an every down um, sort of way, to, to be that guy. And I think that's what they'd hope. And, and it was interesting hearing Todd Bates juxtapose the two. In, in Jacob Lacey, you've got that every down guy, the, the do-it-all guy, I think is what he said, a complete defensive tackle. Devon Sears then, you know, he's they identified that he created a lot of pressures up the middle and that he's someone who can who can pass rush. I mean, the quote here from Todd Bates on, on Devon Sears, I feel like I can teach you all the run stuff. Pass rush is a gift from God. So <laughs> Devon Sears has got stuff. Todd Bates doesn't even think he can teach him. And and I think, you know, those different speeds, I think they're going to like um, uh, another quote from Todd Bates is, you know, having different flavors because they're going to play different teams. We saw last year, they kind of, they were a bit maybe one note defensively, but you're going to see a lot of different offenses. So being more versatile up front, um, you know, outside on the edge too, you know, you, you throw in Trace Ford with Rondell Bothroyd uh, to go with Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes. That's suddenly a much deeper pass rush group. There, there's more depth behind them. But I, I think it's it's the depth and versatility of this line that, that should make it, uh, or at least they're hoping will make it a whole lot better in, in the fall. 
before we move on, uh, one note about the defensive line, and it's a it, it's a note about Gerald McCoy. Uh, you're looking at a former OU great, uh, third round, third overall pick in the 2010 draft. Now it's his retirement this morning. We're taping this on Friday, so uh, best of luck to him. He's been a great ambassador to Oklahoma football through his time in the NFL. A six-time All-Pro. Uh, he, I read where he started, he played in 140 games, started 139 games, incredible career at the NFL level. So I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that, you know, Gerald McCoy's, uh, retirement, that's, uh, that's a big, a big news for Oklahoma for Sooner Nation. But I really think this isn't the last time we'll hear from him. I can bet you anything he's going to be involved in the Oklahoma football program in some way moving forward. Yeah, it's something you're, I'll second it all what you said. I, mean, I would say like an all time sooner and a, a less tangible uh, recognition of, of his scope. I mean, growing up in New York, not a college football hotbed. Some of the first Sooners I knew would have been Adrian Peterson, Sam Bradford and Gerald McCoy. He was on the radar nationally and, and put OU on the radar nationally or helped do it uh, at the time. And, and so went on to have a pretty impressive NFL career and like you said, I, in whatever capacity, I wouldn't be stunned to see him back around Norman uh, sometime soon with this program. But Eric, as we record, we're like eight days out from the spring game, if you can believe it. Team 129, the the, the second spring game for Brent Venables and co. Uh, and I think what we want to do today, next week, we'll really preview, you know, do the full breakdown. But today, we're just going to talk about a guy on each side of the ball between each of us that we're really excited to see. And I think we're going to go beyond um the obvious right of of Jackson yeah. Arnold uh and and you know Dylan Gabriel whatever but guys you know maybe who aren't your first thought who are intrigued to see on the field come uh what 2 30 Saturday after that statue ceremony for Kyler Murray so Eric I'll, I'll let you kick it off on the offensive side of the ball you know it's funny because we're team two me and you covering the league <laughs> team two so we're, we got a ways to go to catch the 129 no, I think this is more, you're right. I mean, this is more players that I'm more intrigued about watching rather than, you know, who do I want to see? Because, of course, all eyes on offense is going to be on Jackson Arnold. And we'll talk a lot about him next week and, you know, what, what's going on with the quarterback position. But I think the one player on offense that I really am interested to see is someone we're familiar with a little bit, not too familiar with, but we know him a little bit. And that's um, Gavin Salchuk. I think with uh, Javante Barnes' injury, Gavin Salchuk really is, uh, the marquee back uh, in this spring game. And you're looking at a player that really had a breakout performance against Florida State in the, Al in the Alamo Bowl, excuse me, that was two years ago, in the Cheez-It Bowl, <laughs> Cheez-It Bowl right here. Um, yeah, 100 yards, 100-yard uh, game. And uh, I think that he's someone that's going to build upon what he developed there. Now, there's still a lot of learning to go because he is just a sophomore and he doesn't have game experience. He only, he's only carried the ball 17 times. 15 in that bowl game. So there's not a lot of in-game experience, but I think that the spring he's understood that they're going to ask him to do a lot more and he's embraced that challenge. Uh, we had a chance to talk to him and he's ready to make that next step. DeMarco Murray's high on him as well, but also DeMarco says that, you know, there's still a lot of learning to go. So I think if I had to pick someone on offense, that's who it would be. I know uh, he's not a newcomer coming in, but I know that's someone, I think that's a position that they're really going to need someone to help really uh, take off pressure from losing Eric Gray. So uh, when we look at when you look at the offense, uh, well, who are you looking at? Who intrigues you the most in the spring game? Well, it, I, I look to the receiver room, which is is probably the most unsettled position, uh, at least in terms of the depth on the offense of just having so many guys that I think we can project out or who have loads of potential, and we can say maybe he'll be the guy. But 
so many that we haven't really seen do it on the field at OU. So the two I'll, I'll look at are, and I'm going to pick two, is Andrew Anthony, the, the Michigan transfer, and then DJ Graham. Uh, we, we've all seen what he can do with his hands, and we've heard about how great his hands are. But um, two guys who I, I think have a lot that can be said about them, but we really haven't seen. I mean, Andrew Anthony comes in the offseason from Michigan. Uh, I, I think it was Gavin Freeman the other uh, the other night who said uh, he's never seen anyone faster at the position on a football field. But, you know, on the other end of that, in, in two years, uh, two seasons playing at Michigan, you know, 19 receptions, 328 yards. We, and, and a lot of those came in one game his freshman year against Michigan State. So it's can, can they rely on a guy like Andrew Anthony in the fall to be a high production guy remains to be seen. But I'm, I'm very excited to see his athleticism, his speed and what they can do with it uh, in the spring game and then so on for there. So I'm, I'm intrigued by him. And then DJ Graham, man, we've been talking about him at receiver since last October. None of us have seen him play wide receiver yet. And this is, this should be our first chance. And, you know, again, he's a, another guy that there can be a lot of talk in April about in terms of his skill level, his talent. You know, he, he was a, a natural receiver and, and a prolific one in high school. Uh, but we have not seen him do it. And, and so I think to, to get a look at these two guys in this offense, whatever you can glean from a spring game, I'm, I'm quite excited to see what they do. Defensively, I think uh, I will go to a newcomer on defense. I think, uh, <laughs> and we talked about this before we we started recording. I'm going to take a shot at it. You got this. PJ, I just know him as PJ, but Adebore, I think that's how you say his last name. PJ Adebore, yeah. Great kid. I went to Kansas City and talked to him before uh, he, he got on campus. Great kid. I need to learn how to say that name. Uh, <laughs> but PJ, I think he's someone that's really, I think a lot of people are intrigued about him yeah, because they really need additional depth at that defensive end spot. And I think, uh, I think Miguel Shavis said it best. What do you say? He's longer than Monday afternoon. Is yeah. that what he said? So that was, that was the line on him. And here's a guy with a lot of athleticism, five-star talent. He can really make me a playmaker. I think the key for him is just transitioning from high school to college. It sounds like it's been a good transition, but of course, when you're a newcomer, when you're learning the game, there's so much coming at you. Uh, I'm really interested in seeing him and how he does in the spring game, just to get a chance to see him uh, in scrimmage situations. I, I think that he's a player that OU could depend on during the fall right away from game one. I mean, you're looking at a guy who who knows, maybe just bring him on for third down situations and let him go at it. Or maybe he's a little further uh, because they do have some uh, they do have some experience in Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs at that position. But PJ is someone that really could be an impact player. And it, it'll be really neat to see his his beginnings in this spring game and kind of seeing everything we're hearing about with him on the on the field. Yeah, I mean, without setting any kind of outset expectations, you know, I was in Stillwater two years ago when a, a freshman, Colin Oliver, um, in kind of limited situations, but he wound up with double-digit sacks, proved that as a, a freshman, if you've got it, whatever it is, as a pass rusher, you can do it, um, even if it's not as an every-down guy. And as you said, there's plenty of depth, but, you know, maybe, you know, that we, we've seen it done in this state before. As a, a, a talented freshman, by all accounts, I mean, he's a skilled pass rusher. Uh, so, so, again, not to outsize the expectations on him now, but th there's a pathway there, at least in, in historical context. and. Uh, I'm excited as well just to see, you know, his presence on the field. But for me, it's another newcomer, but not a, a freshman newcomer. It's Desan McCullough, who we've talked a lot about, the Indiana transfer who's kind of stepping into that cheetah role. And when we talked about those goal line drills the other day, he made far and away uh, the standout play. I was lucky to have my camera out recording it. Uh, it was like a goal line set up, I believe it was meant to be a fourth and one. 
and Sooners handed it off at a shotgun, and boom. There he went. Deshaun McCullough broke through line, smothered the runner. I think it was Dalen Smothers, the freshman, in the background, uh, back, backfield. And you heard the hit. You saw the reaction from the sideline. It was one of those, you know, if it, it, offense versus defense. Defense won right there. And, and what intrigued me there is, you know, the bet cheetah spot we're talking about is as much a linebacker role as it is a safety role. And Desan, you know, spoke about how he's played. He played free safety in high school. But I, I think maybe what we're underest have underestimated in, in some of that talk is, is what he can do from the line. I mean, he was an edge rusher last year when he shared the lead in, in sacks at Indiana. I, I really think he may be the most versatile guy on this defense and someone you'll see everywhere from lining up on the line to more of a linebacker spot to more in the secondary. So watching him and what they do with him uh, in, in the spring game, I think he's going to be really intriguing. Spring game will be a week from tomorrow, a week from Saturday, April, the uh... 22nd, make sure to get the game right. 2.30 start. Um, 11.30 will be the uh, Kyler Murray presentation with a statue outside the stadium, and fans will be able to take pictures with that. Uh, it'll be another great atmosphere. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, it always is. It's a nice wrap-up to the spring drills, and it's almost Chris Christmas in April for Oklahoma fans, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, moving down to different sports, uh, or, uh, basketball, men's basketball. Yeah. Like, we missed well, you for a week, and I know. You, you, you leave for a week, and the whole place blows up, man. It was crazy with all the all the news that came out of that Lloyd Noble Center over, over that week. Uh, transfer portal guys, and and uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to see where this program goes from here. Yeah, I mean, it's now seven guys who could have returned in 23-24 uh, who are either head to the portal or the NBA draft or some combination. And, the, you know, the first four or five guys who went, you probably would have predicted. You know, you could have seen C.J. Nolan and B. Jean Cortez going. Joe Bamisil the same. You know, Jacob Groves came last week. You might have predicted that. But, you know, Jalen Hill was a guy who I'm not surprised at all that, I'm, you know, you're hearing that he's getting serious high major looks in the portal. And we'll see what he hears back on, on the NBA draft. But a guy like him, if you could have kept him, you, that's returning the, the bedrock and all that stuff Porter, Porter Moser talks about. But he goes, Grant Sherfield goes, and, and now OU is left um, with kind of a clean slate. They've got, I think, six scholarships they can offer, uh, which which gives Porter Moser a blank canvas, but also gives them so much to replace. I, I crunched the numbers this week. It's about 60% of most of their production, scoring, assists, minutes, are in, are in those seven guys. And if you throw in Tanner Groves, who couldn't come back due to eligibility, uh, it's about 75% of the scoring and 72% of the rebounding. They've lost a lot, and and now we'll see. They're, they've hosted some uh, some guys. They have a few more coming this weekend. Uh, Javon Small, uh, a pit big man, John Hughley is is going to be on campus. So we'll see. And and the other bit of news, waiting for it to be announced officially by the program, but expecting Armand Gates, the uh, Oregon assistant who worked with Porter at uh, Loyola in the early 2010s, and happens to be the brother of Missouri's Dennis Gates. Um, reportedly joining the staff that's a plus that's a step in the direction of building but uh a lot for them to figure out this next month and uh you know the portal window is only going to be open so long coach gates isn't going to live in a van out in the parking lot is he i don't think so i think but you I, I don't think we've covered this on the pod doc sadler is upgraded uh -huh. he had the doxter <laughs> that i will that i chronicled well uh I, at least i think and uh and got a tour of him the whole thing and then a couple weeks ago i see a tweet said goodbye to the docs today and I was heartbroken even texted doc's wife Tanya and in the time I was texting her he sent out another tweet 
he's got a bigger Winnebago now. It's, it is still parked outside Lloyd Noble Center. He, he's not left yet. And that was my understanding is he was going to hang around. I, I don't know that there's any anything, uh, you know, stipulating how long or how short his stay can be. So he'll, he should probably be around these next few weeks, I, I would think, and then heading home. And I, I know there's some good travel planned in the new Winnebago uh ahead for the for the Sadlers. here's my question is this the story you did which can be found on tulsaworld.com is a great story talking about the doctor did your story help the trading value for the for him to upgrade oh, i i might need uh doc to break me off a piece or something i don't know i, I, I know I, do i deserve something for, for the resale value I just let you borrow the new one for a weekend. Just, just let me take that, it for a weekend. That, that would be a bold, bold, bold uh, <laughs> bit of trust from Doc Sadler if he let me drive. It's a pretty yeah. significant vehicle. I mean, I you know he said he learned how to navigate the Dockster, but that was you know a a relatively small, like almost a van. He's he's driving around something very different now. I don't know if I trust myself. Uh, on the women's side of basketball, uh, a little bit of bedlam intrigue uh, while you were gone. Lexi Keys, uh, you know, a longtime starter, veteran player uh, from Telequa Sequoia High School from Oklahoma State, transferred, announced her transfer to OU. So uh, two sports, Cole, um, Trace Ford and now uh, Lexi Keys go from OSU to Oklahoma. So that really makes bedlam game spicy next year. It's gonna we're gonna be looking at the OU OSU football game and a couple OU OSU women's basketball games. Is you know there's gonna be some unique storylines underlying. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of anxious for that. Lexi Keys will bring uh, a lot of three point shooting to the Sooners, and I think it's a big pickup for the Oklahoma. Can't wait to talk to Jenny Branchek to see how this. Uh, unfolded. How did how did she get Lexi? Uh, okay, and Lexi had a twenty point game against the Sooners too. Lexi's had um, out, of, out of the games she's played against OU, she's had some really good games. She had a twelve rebound game against the Sooners. So Jenny Bronchek has really seen her play some of her best basketball. So maybe that opened the door a little bit for her as well. Uh, and then Maddie Williams, uh, drafted by uh, Seattle Storm, uh, second round. I think she was nineteenth overall. Uh, only OU player drafted this year, but I, I'm sure the other ones, Anna Lunusa and Taylor Robertson, will get looks. They'll probably get invited to some camps. So uh, that's basically the news with the women's basketball program. Uh, all good news if you're an OU fan, as Jenny Branchek really tries to uh, try to try to. I don't want to say rebuild because that's not fair. I mean, they've been they've won a lot of basketball games and they have a lot of talent coming back, but she's going to have to reconstruct that roster and kind of uh, build a new a new everything on that roster around went the loss of those three players um baseball big series for the Sooners this weekend Texas Tech coming to town good friends two good coaches that grew up together going against each other uh you know this really isn't just about the series it's really about Oklahoma trying to bounce back and trying to try to get some momentum for the back end of the schedule yeah well on the the first front you know Skip Johnson and Tim Padlock go way way back and talking to Skip yesterday he said you know usually they talk most mornings there's a moratorium on that for this weekend when they play. He said, you know, he said, you won't see us going to get dinner. It might get pretty bloody if you did. So they're best of friends who I think find a way to just shut it off for a few days when they meet. But yeah, w way more important than, than that, or really just, you know, this is bigger than a, a regular Big 12 weekend series. I mean, Texas Tech, middle of the, middle of the pack in the conference. But for OU, it's, it's about getting on track. They came back from Baylor. Uh, and kind of re switched around their practice schedule, practiced the day of on, on Tuesday before beating Wichita State 8-1. And that felt like a good reset win for them, but they really needed it because they've struggled. I think it's two straight conference series defeats now. And, uh, you know, they they needed the, what they got the other night, which was a, a pitching by committee, the bullpen, five pitchers. 
nine innings, one run against Wichita State, a team they hadn't beaten yet this year. It was their third try. Um, and and got some, you know, got the offense they needed, played fundamental defense, all the things that probably haven't been quite sharp enough and or why they're sitting at 18 and 16 right now were there. And so maybe it's that reset for them, but a, a big weekend here to, to, I guess, you know, in a sense, we, we've said patience for so long and Skip, patience, uh, Skip Johnson has preached patience. It's now getting to that time of year, though, where we're close to May. Uh, and if they are going to kind of hit gear, it, it might have to start with a weekend like this one or or on the other end, you know, lose two out of three at home to Tech and, and you start wondering if uh, if this season is headed in a certain direction. Yeah. Softball goes to uh, Ohio for the first time ever. They've never played games in the state of Ohio. Big this are off Big 12 week. And, and when that happens, you have to find games. And with all the other conferences in the middle of conference play, it's hard to find games. And Patty Gasso has mentioned this and. A lot of times, even on the best of weekends, it's hard to find games for the Sooners. So they're they're in Ohio this week. They're at Miami of Ohio. They play Oakland on Saturday. They play Louisville on Saturday. And they play the host team Sunday morning. Sooners still number one. I mean, it's becoming like a broken record a little bit. They're still number one in the country, playing well. Lead the nation in batting average, ERA, and fielding percentage. I tell you, what coach wouldn't love that trifecta right there? They're playing so good. Um, won 29 games in a row after sweeping um, uh, who'd they sweep? I can't even remember. Texas Tech. Yeah. <laughs> a big win at LSU, a huge win at LSU. And you know what? It's funny because you look at this pitching staff, uh, they, they haven't given up in a run. I haven't given up a run in 30 and two third innings. I mean, they have four straight shutouts going into this weekend. They're playing well. And it's not just one person. It's, it's everyone. Everyone's uh, fit, pitching in and everyone's throwing well. Uh, so, but th this week is going to be important for the offense. They only had two hits against LSU, and Patty Gasset was not happy with that offensive or lack of offensive production. The last time they had two hits or less was against Texas last year in the regular season loss. So I think that that's the thing this weekend. I think that's going to be the focal point this weekend is just trying to get their offense set. Uh, and then, so this is a big weekend, and then next weekend we'll talk about the weekend after when they go back into Big 12 play, they go to Baylor. <laughs> so that'll be – that's the home of yeah. their own loss. So we'll talk a little more about that. But OU still playing really well, 29 in a row. So uh, just a, a good weekend for the Sooners uh, last weekend, and we'll see what happens this weekend. The pitching, man, is, is what gets me. Is we, we know they can hit, and we've seen teams – you know, LSU tried something very different, and we've seen it a bit against them of, of shuffling in new pitchers, trying to throw them off the rhythm worked maybe to a degree and at least tamping down the offense. But when Jordy Ball is pitching like that and, you know, you've got Alex Storacco and Nicole May, you, and, and then you, your mind maybe jumps to the, the tournament play in OKC in, in, at the end of May or uh, into June with the College World Series, the firepower they have on the mound, you know, uh, you know, bar Oklahoma State, for instance, you've got Kelly Maxwell, but mm -hmm. I don't know how many teams have had the pitching they do. And then on the other end of it, uh, th that offense, even on their off days, uh, seems to have plenty. So the, the firepower has been on display. And, and those 29 straight wins tell you everything you need to know. You know, you mentioned Jordy Ball. That's, uh, you know, she struggled to begin with. And when I say struggle, it's, it, what she wasn't the worst pitcher at all because when everyone just got so accustomed to her being that type of dominant pitcher that she was as a freshman, it, it just wasn't Jordy-like, I guess. Even that was where Patty's were, is Jordy-like. Um, but now this back half of the season, she's really hit a rhythm. She's really becoming that dominant thrower again. I think she had 13 strikeouts at LSU. She or She's just really, really firing the ball well, and she's dominating in the circle. And I think that's huge. 
And uh, that only makes that team better. And it's funny, uh, Eli, if you had to pick the ace of this staff, who's your pick? No, that's impossible. I, I was going to say, you know, maybe there's a start that I'm missing in here that someone could point out or you could point out. Uh, the other night might have been the best Jordy has looked since since our, you know, arm started aching kind of at the end of last year, I think. And and getting her there, to your point here, about who's the ace, if she's throwing like that, it might be her. But, man, Nicole May has been dynamite. Alex Starocco has been in, in, in major infusion on the pitching staff as, as a transfer in. I don't know who, who that ace is. And I also – I think what's really interesting is how will Patty um, – I guess configure that staff. Who who makes sense to be your your game one starter? Who makes sense? And is it more important to have you know who's going to be your out of the bullpen option when you're in a pinch? Uh, and and where does she place value there? But it's an embarrassment of riches between those three. And and Patty's got plenty of uh, of options to choose from. You know, it's funny too because when you think about it, you're not only dealing with your you know what pitcher am I going to throw? You have to deal with the egos too. I mean, all three of these pitchers, you know, coming up into college, travel ball. Uh, even at Michigan with Starocco's case, you're you're the ace. You're the one everyone counts on. You get the ball at big situations. Well, now you have to step back and you have to really figure out uh, or learn your role. And I think that's the key for a coach like Gasso. She has to handle three different egos uh, and and you say, okay, we're we're a team. We're doing this by committee. And those players have to embrace that too. They have to embrace all those roles, knowing that you know they may want the ball against LSU. I'm sure Alex Draco and Nicole May would have loved to have thrown that LSU game, but uh, Patty goes with Jordy Ball, and uh, we see what happens. I have no doubt that May or Straco would have given Oklahoma a good chance to win. But it comes back to the coach having to massage. No, I don't want to say massage. Not the right word, but work with those players and and tell them that that their role is important and they have to really accept those roles. And I think from the outside looking in, it looks like all three of those pitchers have done a good job. Well, that gives us a segue to our next and final subject, which is gymnastics. And I, I say that because speaking to some folks this week about KJ Kindler in charge of the women's uh, gym program, one of the, the things that kept coming up was one of KJ's greatest skills among many is her ability to, to manage her, her team. I mean, you've got, uh, in the same sense of, of having prolific pitchers uh, at OU, you've got some of the most prolific gymnasts in the country and some have competed at the Olympic level and the national level. And KJ Kindler's ability to keep a, a, a team on track from your, you know, near near Olympians to the to the star freshman who you have to tell maybe is, is an alternate until you need them. Um, I think that's been a big part of the success there. And that brings us to last night where OU in, in Fort Worth, you know, wasn't, again, one of their strongest and, and uh, best performances, but they did enough uh, in Fort Worth to, to advance to Saturday's finals. They'll be there alongside Utah, who finished ahead of them last night in the second session uh, with LSU in Florida. And here the Sooners are again going for another national title. I think it would be the fifth in seven years or seven championships if you remove the COVID year. Um, again, again the, the position that KJ Kindler and this team finds itself in is, is staggering. And uh, last night it was owed a, a whole lot to Olivia Troutman and Jenna Dunn and their work on, on the beam. The men are in Penn State uh, for the NCAA championships, which will be decided on Saturday night, hours after Oklahoma com completes the, the women's uh, NCAA championships. Uh, the men have to qualify, though. They this Friday night, as we tape this Friday, Friday night is when they're going to go through their qualifying session. The Sooners under Mark Williams are number two behind Stanford. Um, we talk about tradition and we know Oklahoma, the women's program has just a rich tradition. The men 
they finished first or second in 19 of the last 21 years. It's just an incredible run. Uh, they Mark Mark Williams is 24th season. He's won nine championships, but it's been a little while since the Sooners have won a title. The last title was in 2018, and since then Stanford's been on the roll. And Stanford's the team to beat. Stanford is the top seed again this weekend. Uh, Mark Williams talked a little bit about Stanford, and he said they're just good. I think it's going to take one of those performances where they're Oklahoma is going to have to be at their best. To, to win a championship this weekend, but that, that's a challenge that they're really ready to undertake. I think it's going to be huge. Everyone's going to have to be on their best. Stanford, their roster includes a lot of national team members, too, from the Olympic team. Uh, so I think that that's uh, for the national team, excuse me, the U U.S. national team. There's a lot of Stanford gymnasts from the national team. So th this is a talented group. It's, Oklahoma's going to have to be at their best, uh, but they're, they're excited about this, the opportunity to go out there and, and go on the big stage and perform. So again, Oklahoma, they are going to try to be one of they're in a six team session top three both sessions go for final six on saturday night and we'll see how the sooners do eric i think that does it for us this week made it through this made it through a whole lot of talk and conversation on around ou and i think covered it all so we will see how things fall this weekend with the two gymnastics programs keep monitoring on on the hoops portal and the roster movement and next week, last week of spring camp, right into a spring game, we'll be back to have a whole lot more on that here uh, and at TulsaWorld.com. But as always, you can find us at Spotify, Google, Apple, everywhere you get your podcasts. And Eric, we'll be back next week.